European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 36, Issue 44, Containing Guidelines on Infective Endocarditis, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Infections, Infarction, and Heart Failure, Prevention and Management. Infections are relatively rare causes of cardiovascular disease, but bacteria and viruses may affect the pericardium, myocardium, the heart valves, or even thrombi, as well as implants and devices. However, when bacteria invade cardiac tissue and or valves, this results in severe conditions and, in spite of modern antibiotics, is still associated with a considerable morbidity and mortality, often requiring surgery. The prevention and early diagnosis of these conditions, in particular endocarditis, is therefore of utmost importance. It comes at the right time that the Guidelines Committee of the European Society of Cardiology presents their update 2015 ESC Guidelines for the Management of Infective Endocarditis in this issue, which is authored by expert professionals involved in the medical care of patients with this pathology. On a very different note, this issue continues with a review article entitled Music and the Heart by Lutz Jenke an internationally renowned neuropsychologist of the University and Institute of Technology, ETH, in Zurich, Switzerland. It is commonly agreed that experiencing music can invoke powerful neuronal activity, modulating our emotions and moods, along with changes in heart activity, blood pressure, and breathing. Although there is great heterogeneity in methods and scientific quality among previous studies investigating the effects of music on the heart, it is indisputable that heart rate and respiratory rate are higher in response to exciting as compared to tranquil music. During musical frissons involving shivers and piloerection, both heart and respiratory rate increase. Moreover, heart rate and respiratory rate tend to increase in response to music compared to silence, and heart rate appears to decrease in response to unpleasant music compared to pleasant music. On the other hand, there is no evidence for entrainment of heart rate to musical beats. Corresponding to the increase in heart rate, listening to exciting music, unlike tranquil music, is associated with a reduction of heart rate variability, including reductions of both low and high frequency power of the heart rate variability. There are also effects of emotions evoked by music on ECG amplitude patterns. In patients with heart disease, similar to other patient groups, Music can also reduce pain and anxiety, and is associated with lower heart rate and blood pressure. In general, the effects of music on the heart are small, but may be important. Since there is a great inhomogeneity among studies with regard to methods, findings, and quality, there is a need for systematic high-quality research on the effects of music on the heart, and on the potential beneficial effects of its clinical settings. Myocardial infarction remains the most important complication of atherosclerotic vascular disease and the most common cause of morbidity and mortality in most countries. Although primary percutaneous coronary intervention, PPCI, has markedly improved outcome, mortality remains considerable, particularly in patients with ST elevation myocardial infarction, STEMI. This is at least in part related to reperfusion injury after a successful procedure. However, 
almost all pharmacological interventions, including most recent trials, prove to be futile. Remote ischemic preconditioning and postconditioning are thought to be potent activators of innate protection against ischemia reperfusion injury, and both maneuvers have indeed demonstrated some degree of cardioprotection in experimental and clinical trials in patients with STEMI. However, their combined effects have not been studied in detail. In the first clinical research paper, Cardioprotection by Combined Intrahospital Remote Ischemic Preconditioning and Postconditioning in ST Elevation Myocardial Infarction, the randomized Lipsia Conditioning Trial. Ingo Eitel from the Heart Center at the University of Leipzig in Germany reports the results of co-application of in-hospital remote ischemic conditioning and postconditioning, and how these have a more powerful effect on myocardial salvage compared to either postconditioning alone or control. This prospective-controlled single-center study randomized 696 STEMI patients into three groups, i.e. 1. Combined intrahospital remote ischemic conditioning plus postconditioning in addition to primary PCI, 2. Postconditioning in addition to primary PCI, and 3. Conventional PCI as a control. The primary endpoint was the myocardial salvage index, while secondary endpoints included infarct size and microvascular obstruction, all assessed by cardiac MRI. The combined clinical endpoint consisted of death, reinfarction, and new congestive heart failure within six months. They found that myocardial salvage was significantly greater with combined remote ischemic conditioning plus postconditioning, while postconditioning alone was ineffective. Similarly, the secondary endpoints, infarct size and microvascular obstruction, and clinical endpoints at six months, did not differ between groups. The authors conclude that combined in-hospital remote ischemic conditioning plus post-conditioning, in conjunction with primary PCI, significantly improves myocardial salvage in STEMI as assessed by cardiac MRI. Navin Kumar Kapoor from Tufts Medical Center in Boston critically discusses these findings in a thoughtful editorial. In contrast to these findings in STEMI, a recent large trial using this approach in patients undergoing cardiac surgery requiring cardiopulmonary bypass was negative. Gert Heusch and Bernard Gersh will discuss possible reasons for such differences in a future viewpoint that will be published in this journal. Another approach to limit infarct size and improve outcome in patients with acute myocardial infarction of heart failure is the use of intracoronary delivered autologous bone marrow derived cells. As the results of bone marrow derived cells alone were mostly disappointing, it has been postulated that stimulation of these cells might improve outcome. In this issue, Anthony Mather and colleagues from the Queen Mary University of London in the UK report the results of the Regenerate DCM clinical trial, a randomized trial of combination cytokine and adult autologous bone marrow progenitor cell administration in patients with non-ischemic dilated cardiomyopathy. The authors randomized 60 patients with dilated cardiomyopathy and left ventricular ejection fraction of 45% or less and NYHA class of two or higher into four groups, i.e. 1. Peripheral placebo, 2. Peripheral GCSF, 
three, peripheral GCSF plus intracoronary serum, and four, peripheral GCSF plus intracoronary bone marrow-derived cells. All patients except the placebo group received five days of GCSF. In the intracoronary groups, this was followed by bone marrow harvest and intracoronary infusion of cells, or serum, on day six. At three months, peripheral GCSF combined with intracoronary bone marrow-derived cells, but not the other regimens, was associated with a 5.4 percentage point increase in ejection fraction maintained up to one year. This was associated with a decrease in NYHA classification, reduced NT pro-BNP levels, and improved exercise capacity and quality of life. The authors note that a novel combination of GCSF and intracoronary cell therapy improves cardiac function, symptoms, and biomechanical parameters in patients with DCM. This paper is accompanied by a critical editorial by Jens Kastrup from the Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory in Copenhagen, Denmark. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.